0: Welcome to Deviant Women, the podcast where we talk to you about Deviant Women from history, mythology, literature, and contemporaneity. My name is Lauren, and I'm here again without Alicia because she is off gallivanting about China at the World Police and Fire Games with her husband who is competing, which is quite impressive. But it means that I'm here with another guest, a very special co-host today. A co-host who, well, our history goes back quite a long way, I think gosh, probably nearly 20 years. And you may be familiar with her work because she is the composer of the Deviant Women theme song. My co-host today is my
1: very longtime friend, India Hui. Hello. Hi, Lauren. Yeah. It's fantastic to be here and joining you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for agreeing to be my Alicia
0: today. It's my absolute pleasure. I only hope I can measure up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Oh, thanks. You'll be fine. All right. <laughs> I don't think Alicia's shoes are terribly big. She actually has very tiny feet. Oh, really? Okay. So you'll be fine. All right. Great. <laughs> so as I said, our listeners are probably mostly familiar with you because you are the name that we thank at the end of every episode for delivering the music. You did write our theme song and you also, for those of our listeners who are not based in Adelaide, you also helped
1: us compose the musical number in our live show. I did indeed, <laughs> yeah. Actually, the theme song just was spontaneously composed. Really. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Well, I I came up with that piano little riff, mm. the arpeggios, and then just had that tune in my head and then added these other like little snippets of voices saying deviant women.
0: <laughs> I think what I really love about the song, for me, it captures so much about you, like, mm. oh, does it? <laughs> your personality. And I think also our combined personalities and the things mm. that I think link us as friends, the things that kind of, I think, have been at the core of our friendship for these last nearly 20 years. And yeah. that is this kind of combination of creative talent Mm -hmm. you know we are both creative artists who take our art quite seriously indeed but we are also very silly that's true yes and (laughs) and there's such a great humor in that song that I think also draws out what we wanted in this podcast Mm -hmm. which was that mix between serious discussion about women in history and mythology and literature and whatever but also the fact that we wanted it to be a really lively Funny, often maybe sarcastic and ironic conversation mm, as well. So yeah, you yeah. nailed it. Yeah. And I can't tell you how often I get emails and messages and tweets from people saying that they have that song in their head, or mm-hmm. that their dog really loves the song, or their toddler really <laughs> loves the song, or they've been singing the song at work, and how often emails begin with i love your theme song yeah so well
1: that's really music to my ears. So <laughs> yeah yeah no so. i'm just so glad that that people like it it's <laughs> this, this, like sort of slightly nonsense silly song um no that's fantastic and i'm glad that it encapsulates the podcast so well yeah and that also
0: leads us to the subject of today's episode can you introduce us to our deviant woman of the day
1: I can. So today I've chosen to talk about Wendy Carlos, Mm -hmm. who is an American musician, composer and a pioneer of the synth. Synth. That's the synthesizer. Yeah, the synthesizer and electronic music. Which has unquestionably changed music in the last like
0: 40, 50 nearly years, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So she was, you know, mucking around with the synth or the first synths in the 60s yeah. uh, and helped popularise it. And now, you know, we have synths everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so Some common. of us love
0: them more than others. I mm. actually, yeah, I do actually love a good synth. So mm. I'm excited to talk about this. Can you, is there mm. anything else that you want to tell us about it before we dive into yeah. her bi- biography?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so she's probably most well-known for the album Switched on Bach. So it was basically an an, an album of music by Bach played on... On The Synth. Yeah, on The Synth, (laughs) which was quite a radical thing to do back then. Yeah. (laughs) And then, um, yeah, she won three Grammys for that. And then she's also composed scores for Stanley Kubrick films.
0: Yeah, I think this is probably where most people would be familiar with Mm -hmm. her because she scored A Clockwork Orange
1: Mm -hmm. and The Shining. That's correct. Yes, and Tron, which is yeah, not a. Yeah, that as well. Wait, that's not, not a Stanley a Kubrick, Kubrick film, film no. but iconic no. soundtrack yeah. nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. And then the last extremely interesting thing about Wendy is that she was born a boy. Uh-huh. She was born a male uh, and later became a female. So she's a <laughs>
0: transgender composer. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. So let's start at the very beginning.
1: Let's a very good dive place in to start. Yes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So, uh, so wendy and i'll refer to her as mm. wendy uh so she was born in 1939 in portucket which is a small <laughs> smallish city in rhode island in the oh, u.s portucket uh, and she was born walter carlos yeah but we'll get into that more later yep. she came from a musical family mm. uh, her mum actually played the piano and sang and then she had some uncles that played trombone and trumpet and drums so she was growing up in a very musical yeah. family. That uh, seems to be pretty common with a
0: lot of musicians.
1: It does, yeah. yeah. Did yeah. you grow up in a very musical family? Yeah, I have some more aunties and uncles than are yeah. musical. But, I mean, not particularly because you do hear of families that are super musical, you know, the parents play you know, and yeah. the siblings play. But, yeah, I do have a couple of aunties and uncles that are very great mm. musicians and I was lucky that I have parents that were supportive yeah. and wanted me to do music I think and that's stuff. a big key thing, isn't it? Definitely, Yeah. yeah. So Wendy started piano lessons at the age of six. She wrote her first composition at 10. What? Which was a piece what? for clarinet, accordion and piano. Really? Yeah. A Can cold you imagine that? A composition at 10? Yeah, at 10. Is that unusual? Yeah, I would say so. Unless you're Mozart. <laughs> Unless you're Mozart, yeah. I guess. He was <laughs>
0: composing at what, like five? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so. so she's not Mozart prodigy, but she's mm-hmm. like pretty, pr- pretty prodigious. prodigious. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and then... It gets even smarter. So, at the age of fourteen, she built a computer <laughs> and won a science competition for high school students. Is so. this the building a
0: computer in the way that my ex boyfriend's built computers, which is buying the components from the local computer store and putting them together, or is this building a computer like I guess it's the fifties? Yeah, yeah. I
1: imagine it would have been more involved than yeah, what just like putting a, a hard drive inside is. it cabinet yeah i mean it must have been much more complicated also yeah. weren't computers like the size of
0: bedrooms in the yeah 50s?
1: yeah i think so yeah actually i don't have more details about her particular computer but i imagine it was pretty wow. involved and used punch cards
0: to, yeah like... possibly yeah that seems very impressive anyway so yeah. she's kind of multi-talented in both yeah. science and arts and the Two things are going to come together quite nicely Mm. in her later life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, She went on to do a degree in music and physics at Brown University. Interesting combination. Um, Yeah, it is interesting because they seem like very different subjects. They seem like different subjects, but actually I can see why you would put them together. Mm, Yeah, yeah. There's a a big connection, definitely. Mm. I mean, because music is all about sound waves and pitches and frequencies yeah, that are yeah. all explained by physics concepts mm-hmm. so there's definitely a link there yeah and i'm sure it's really useful to know a lot about both yeah to inform both of those aspects yeah so after doing that first degree she moved to new york city to do her masters in music composition At Columbia University. Of course she did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, and the department that she studied in, it was the first electronic and computer music centre in the US. So this was a centre that was putting
0: music and... I guess looking at the technology of music for the first time in in that kind of Mm -hmm. sphere of actually using computers. Exactly. Using computers to
1: create music and also, I guess, probably building instruments Mm. that were electronic and Mm. could make music. So she was really in that kind of hotbed of (laughs) musical technology during university. Yeah. And she studied and worked with some pretty amazing people. I think the most interesting one was that she presented a concert of electronic music with Leonard Bernstein, okay. who we know as the composer of West Side Story.
0: Oh, of course! Yes. yes! So that's
1: really awesome that <laughs> she was working on someday. stuff with him.
0: Wait, how does it go? Yeah. Someday? Is it someday? It
1: is. Yeah. Someday! Somewhere we'll find a new way of living. We'll find a way of forgiving.
0: Somewhere. Good job. That's just like being in
1: high school. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so back to Wendy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So when she was a student in New York, she wrote a lot of compositions and they were all quite experimental and mm. innovative at the time so I want to read you some of the titles of some of the pieces that she wrote yeah during that do. time so there was one called dialogues for piano and two loudspeakers <laughs> okay cool uh, another one was <laughs> variations for flute and electronic sounds yep mm-hmm. and I like this one pomposities for narrator and tape wow pomposities for narrator and tape yeah that's a good title right Yeah, Uh, and she also wrote an opera that blended electronics with an orchestra. Awesome. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Very ahead Mm. of her time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so now I want to talk a bit about someone that she met at university. So uh, during her time at uni, she met the engineer and inventor Robert Moog. Moog. Yeah, are you familiar with the name?
0: Well, only because I did do a little bit of reading and mm-hmm. I know that Moog is the name of the synthesizer. Mm-hmm. So it I is. assume that Moog is involved in synthesizing in he some way, is. but I don't yes. know anything else about him. But yeah. except that Moog is also a great name.
1: Yeah, it is a great name. Definitely. Yeah. So Moog at that time when Wendy met her, he had a vision to yeah. make an instrument. Like an actual vision? Like a, mm-hmm.
0: you know. No, no. Kind of a vision. No. He <laughs> <laughs> wasn't like asleep and then, you know, no. saw this synthesizer <laughs> in
1: his mind. But like this was his plan, his It goal. was his plan. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, so he had a goal to make an instrument that was as expressive as a piano, but using all the new and zany sounds that Mm -hmm. electronics could produce. So Wendy and Robert Moog really got along well uh, and they became friends and they started a working partnership. So Wendy started to give advice to Robert and technical help for his this synthesizer mm. that he was creating and one really great thing that she suggested was convincing him to add a touch sensitive device. Oh,
0: right. on the
1: keyboard. So that means you could actually play dynamics yeah. or you could play more dynamics instead of just using like a toggle thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so a touch sensitive thing, what is this looking like? Cuz I'm picturing like futuristic pads where you mm. just move your fingers and the sound changes yeah what yeah. kind of thing are we talking about
1: yeah actually i'm not sure to be honest <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm not sure what the actual touch sensitive thing looked like okay <laughs> we'll imagine it yeah. as being a futuristic touchpad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 i think maybe it, it may have been like a, a keyboard yeah okay. but then there was some some way of collecting the electronics so that you could you know press harder or softer yeah okay on, cool yeah, yeah whether you wanted to make different dynamics and things yeah. So anyway, the result of all this collaboration was the Moog synthesizer. Yes. Like the first, and it was actually the first commercially available synthesizer. And is this the sort of the
0: gold standard in synthesizers? Like, is it known as
1: being the synthesizer? Yeah. To well, use? it was the first one that was available for people to actually buy and have in their home. Yeah. So before that, I guess it was just whoever invented one would have one. Yeah. But it would be this huge thing that would take up a whole wall. So people were experimenting with this stuff otherwise at the same yeah, time? Other people had mm. invented similar things before, but I guess nothing that was... So portable, yeah, because um, almost straight after the the Moog synthesizer, he also developed the Mini Moog, uh-huh. <laughs> even better name, which was a more portable, yeah, one. okay. So, yeah, and now they are both like, known as legendary synths, yeah, amongst music nerds, <laughs> like yourself, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. And this is interesting because Wendy, obviously, at the time was a poor uni student, yeah, well, I assume she was, and she couldn't actually afford to buy one of the synthesizers because oh. they are expensive to make. I think they use this fancy walnut wood uh, and, you know, they had a bunch of electronics in them that were expensive and they were about the same price as a house <laughs> to begin with. So. Holy
0: shit. <laughs> yeah. you got to be really, really into synth music yeah, yeah. to invest exactly. house money in a synthesizer. Yeah, oh, yeah. my God. exactly. But I guess a lot of music desks these days are – super expensive but still that's a different ball game like that's a totally different thing it is yeah (laughs) so
1: so yeah anyway she couldn't afford to buy one but she and robert moog uh, sort of struck up a deal that she would make recordings showcasing yeah uh, the synths so that they could start to sell them and then she would continue to give advice from her musician perspective because she obviously knew a lot about electronics Mm. and stuff and he was an inventor that knew a lot about science and also a bit about music, but they're kind of the collaborations. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, and in return for that, she kind of got, she would get her own moog gear. Yeah. And
0: so she's really just marketing herself quite well
1: here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess she's marketing the synth yeah. uh, for Robert Moog. Um, yeah, yeah. And they became friends, and that was kind of their like yeah. you know, a trade a deal <laughs> instead of money passing hands. Yeah, and it was like she yeah, got paid she got, in Moog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and remembering that this was the '60s, so it was all really exciting mm. stuff at the time. And the invention of Moog synth and Mini Moog was quite a game changer. For yeah. The, the so electronic tell us about
0: music world. So how did it?
1: Changed
0: the the world. Did it change yeah. the world? Yeah, I the whole know. world as we know it. Well, the music world. I don't know about the world. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Can you imagine a world without synth
1: music? No, no, I can't. Yeah, I guess it was the forerunner to a lot of other electronic music, mm, Daft Punk, yeah, for example. <laughs> yeah, or any electronic music. I mean, now electronic music is a huge yeah genre that's full of subgenres House as well, and trap and yeah.
0: I don't know, my brain's already run out of yeah, yeah. genres of electronic <laughs> music. <laughs> there are, I don't
1: know, yeah, hundreds I'm yeah. sure. So
0: maybe you should just explain what does a synthesizer actually do? Because mm-hmm. now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I think I know what
1: synth music sounds like, but yeah. I'm actually, I don't actually really understand how it works. Yeah, yeah. Basically the concept is that the instrument turns electricity into a, a sound wave and then the point of the synth is to give you tools to change that sound yeah. wave into different sounds. So, so to this... change the pitch of it, to rise the pitch, lower the pitch. Yeah. Or... So it is sounding like that electronic sound that we would think of. Exactly. That is the sound that's coming out. Yeah. So it's not
0: yeah. like keyboards that replicate different instruments. Yeah. That's not where we are yet. We're just at that electronic sound. Exactly. Yeah. Just yeah. creating
1: the sound yeah. uh, out of electricity. Cool.
0: So around this time, we're in the late 60s, she's at university, she's experimenting, she's playing with Moog, all of that sorted. But at the same, is this when she also started to go through her gender
1: transition? Uh, Yes, it is around that period. Yeah, which is really interesting because she had, you know, she was starting to become very successful in her mm. career and her musical endeavours, but meanwhile she's having this other yeah. <laughs> journey that yep. was a very big deal. Very
0: um, big, especially in the late 60s. Mm,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Exactly. I mean a couple of a couple of weeks ago we covered the trans activist Marsha P. Johnson mm. who was also around the same period, mm. uh, quite active in the late 60s and mm. 70s, and it was – Oh, man, like trans people have it tough now, but like it was a d- different world then. Yeah. I can't, yeah. yeah. So what what
1: was this experience for her? Yeah, so she actually felt that she was different or in the wrong gender mm. quite young. So I have a quote from her yeah. here and she says, I was about five or six and I remember being convinced I was a little girl, not mm. knowing why my parents didn't see it clearly. I didn't understand why they insisted on treating me like a little boy. Mm. So she actually had that mm. gender dysphoria already yeah. from yeah, the age of five. Yeah, and yeah, at school she was bullied because like, mostly by the boys because they knew that she was different. And especially at that time, you know, girls and boys, yeah, games and toys were very, very stereotypical and very gendered. Yeah, absolutely. exactly. Yep. And it's interesting because. I had some information as well that when in college she actually went on a date with a girl, like when she was Oh, right. ...she was a a boy and she said, uh, here's a quote, that she felt so jealous Mm. of her that I was beside myself because she felt like, you know, that she should be a girl. I became alienated from my college peers, both men and women, and it became a kind of mental torture. I felt that nature had made a cruel mistake.
0: Wow. Yeah. yeah and i also can't imagine going through that at a time when trans issues are not talked about like i wonder no. how she even understood her yeah. gender dysmorphia and understood the experience that she was having yeah without probably anyone to tell her that actually this is a thing that yeah you know it's It's
1: real and Mm -hmm. you do feel like you're in the wrong body Mm. and there are other people who are like you. Well, it was actually, um, it was lucky that she went to study uh, in New York City, as I mentioned, uh, to study her master's uh, and that's where she learned about transgender issues for the first time. Because it was, I mean, I Mm. guess... Of all
0: of the places in the US that it was happening, New York was the place. Exactly. I mean, this is also where we have, again, around the same time we've got Christopher Street and Mm. Pride beginning... activists like marsha p johnson and sylvia rivera so there is a trans presence
1: in new york exactly yeah 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 yeah. and so uh, she was able to receive counseling from the sexologist harry benjamin Mm. uh, who now is quite well known for his work with transgender people and with gender dysphoria yeah so yeah that was really lucky for her i guess that she moved to a place where people were beginning to understand what that was all about i did a little bit of research as to what Life might have been like for mm. transgender people in the mm-hmm. U.S. during the '60s. For example, it was against the law to cross-dress in public. Yeah, so you know you could be arrested yeah. just. I think for wearing yeah a dress. for wearing like, like under right. yeah
0: three articles of clothing of the opposite mm. sex. We're,
1: sorry, wearing three items of clothing of yeah, the opposite yeah. sex. Yeah, it's like it's awful. Yeah. And yeah, basically, gender dysphoria was only just starting to mm. be recognised mm. uh, as a valid condition. People were openly transphobic, obviously. Yeah, if they could see it's, that someone was, they still are. Yeah, they yeah. still are. But can you imagine then? Yeah. It would have been most people probably. Yeah. And well, the first transgender organisations and publications were starting to mm. appear, but big institutions like law, the law and medicine, yeah. Uh, didn't respond favorably to this awareness Um, yeah
0: and it was still the kind of thing that you could be institutionalized absolutely yeah i mean arrested over and over and over again many trans people were in prison
1: Mm. endlessly because they were targeted particularly by the police yeah so yeah really awful uh, yeah when you're already struggling, you know, within yourself to realise who you are and then let alone that society hates you.
0: And do we know how Wendy experienced this stuff? Like do we know much about her journey of transition and I guess her state of mental
1: health Mm -hmm. or the support networks that she had around her or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I think she had a couple of close friends that she was able to be open about it with. And then, of course, yeah, um, Harry Benjamin, the the therapist as well. But, like, for a long time she did hide it, especially Mm. as she had she later you know got more of a public profile but for about 10 years she was actually transitioning but she was hiding it so she right. was still dressing up as a man sometimes right. if she had to do something in public that okay. was related to her career so she was still going by Walter
0: professionally
1: at the time Exactly point. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so in 1968 she began hormone replacement treatments.
0: That to me, that's interesting. I didn't realise that hormone replacement treatment happened so early. Yeah. Like that that seems, yeah, I don't know. For some reason that just seems like a really early thing to me. Yeah,
1: yeah. You mean like early in history, in in medical, yeah, 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 the yeah. Fact that in it was history. available. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: The fact medically that it was something that you could do in yeah, 1968. Yeah.
1: I think it was really quite new at mm. that point, but obviously it had proven to be effective. Yeah, um, yeah. And so she actually the following year she began living permanently as a woman. Yeah.
0: So she'd already been on in her private treatment. life. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: in her private life. But yeah, like I said before, if she was in professional public yeah. situations, then she actually went out as a man and mm. like she would draw on facial hair and <gasps> <Draw laughs> apparently it on. that's what I read yeah wow. she would sometimes draw it on for example there was um she did a concert with the St. Louis symphony where she appeared I'm not sure if she was conducting or something but she appeared at the concert and yeah she had a wig <laughs> and drawn on facial oh. hair because she was still appearing as Walter wow so I guess she felt Well, she would have felt worried or unhappy about what the reaction might be from the public.
0: Yeah, because I guess when you've already got a name and you're already known in your world, I mean, I guess she's probably not a celebrity in the same way that you know many other musicians. You know, at this point of her career, but pop
1: musicians or actors, certainly still though she. Was well known within her sphere. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially when she started to do yeah her album and then the soundtracks and stuff yeah. and yeah. But it was actually the the commercial success of that switched on Bach mm. album allowed her then to undergo sex reassignment surgery. Oh wow! In 1972. So that was like four years after she started the hormone. Treatment. And do you know how old she was at this point? She would have been about 33. Wow. In her early 30s. Yeah. uh, Which is around our age, right? So can you imagine having to... (laughs) Yeah. yeah, No, I can't. Make this huge decision (laughs) about your identity. yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. And, yeah, she did continue to release a bunch of albums under Walter Carlos Mm. all throughout the 70s. So So this happened in 73 that she transitioned. uh, 72 that she had the reassignment surgery. Right. So so she's been on hormone therapy. Mm. She
0: has had... Surgery and despite this, despite the fact that she has fully acknowledged her womanhood, she's fully come completely into her womanhood in her private life publicly. She's still, I guess, there's some sort of shame or some sort of fear about public response if she was to come out publicly as Wendy instead of Walter. So, despite the fact that she's fully transitioned, she's still
1: using Walter. Yeah, that's right. Right. So, yeah, and she did that, you know, for I don't know, 10 years or something, all throughout the 70s. Uh,
0: That's even harder, isn't it? Because that's almost like cross-dressing.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is.
0: That's cross-dressing. She was cross-dressing as a man.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting to think how much things have changed now when you look at trans people who are in the public eye. Mm -hmm. For example... Like, a, you know, the Wachowskis. Yes, the Wachowski they were the They were yeah. the Wachowski brothers, you know, of the yep. Matrix yep. Uh, <laughs> series. And um, then they were the Wachowski siblings. Siblings <laughs> when one of them transitioned. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and they're now sisters. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is quite amazing. Um, but the public's just been accepting of yeah. that, right? They've had no fear of... As far uh, as we know. Yeah, I of mean, course. We can't yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they, they are public about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and it seems like it's been a relatively good transition as far as public yeah, transitions can Yeah. Go. They've been able to continue making films. Yeah. And people still love their work. And, yeah, so it's interesting that things have changed so much. They still have, have a long then, way to go. Yeah. We're like, we still have so we far do. to go. Yeah. And, of course, we're talking mostly about Western society. Yes. Because there absolutely. are many areas of the world where, you know, trans people have it a lot harder still. Yeah. and Yeah, you can't imagine what life is like for some people still. So, Wendy finally went public with her transition in 1979 via a very comprehensive interview in playboy
0: oh right well playboy actually they seem i mean we can make fun of playboy but in a lot of ways they were hugely progressive yeah
1: they were very liberal yeah Yeah. in
0: all kinds of different matters of sexuality and and especially in terms of kind of i guess social and political context you know they were they were all over things like reproductive rights and abortion rights. Exactly. And here we go, trans rights.
1: Yeah, they yeah. were exactly quite progressive. And that's what uh, Wendy actually herself said, that, you know, she wanted to liberate herself, you know, and yeah. be honest with the public. And she thought that Playboy was the most liberal publication right. at the time. Yeah, so she felt it was appropriate to share her story there. And, and how, was it,
0: how was it received?
1: Apparently it was actually received quite well yeah and then she said like later that she regretted having hidden yeah. it for 10 years and gone through all that all that you know, trauma yeah all that yeah. trauma when she probably could have come out and maybe it wouldn't have affected mm, her career but I guess you she can't know can you can't know and yeah. I
0: suppose and the other thing as well is how many how many role models would she have had around yeah. her to look at and see exactly You know, we talk about the Wachowski sisters just Mm, before, right? So if you are today, you know, a young upcoming director or producer or actor, you can look at figures like that and and see yourself represented and see that public transition Mm -hmm. as being something that doesn't, you know, that can be received well. Yeah, But I can't imagine she had a huge range of examples to look to yeah, to see yeah. to gauge what the yeah. public response might be mm-hmm. and of course we know that her fears are validated because there is so much violence towards trans women exactly and yeah. had she got it wrong mm-hmm. the consequences really <laughs> could have been it, it could have been a matter of life and death it's yeah. it's not even as much as losing her reputation or it affecting her career it mm. is a matter of personal safety so yeah exactly yeah you can understand I suppose in that context her hesitation but it is like yeah, you said yeah.
1: it is also really sad that she couldn't come out earlier exactly. and have that peace of mind yeah yeah exactly but I think she was incredibly brave doing mm. this interview because I actually read I managed to find a copy oh, of the interview online uh, and you know the interviewer asks really detailed and intimate questions wow. about everything like about <laughs> what happens during surgery wow. and all the emotional journey and stuff and she really answers in graphic detail wow. but I think that was a really good thing for the public to read to yeah. realize, okay, it's actually amazing that doctors can, yeah, uh, you know, change someone's body yeah, <laughs> to the to other gender, yeah, uh, and it works, and then it's, you know, and realizing that you know it's just a person mm. and they are just changing their body and and you know, imagine and what that, that interview could have meant
0: to, you know, some thirteen-year-old kid mm-hmm. at home sneaking their Playboy who feels. They're not right in their body yeah, and feels exactly. that gender
1: dysmorphia themselves, and yeah. then they have that there. That exactly, publication. all the information about yeah. how you transition, yeah, basically, what to expect. Yeah, the emotions that yep. someone might have gone through. Yeah,
0: man, I wonder. Yeah. yeah, I wonder what the impact of that was yeah. on people who were exactly, you know, other young trans people. Yeah, not yeah. just, not just, mm. you know, cis hetero like you know dudes exactly <laughs> nude yeah. pictures <laughs> yeah, yeah but actually on people who really needed to hear it exactly yeah wow yeah pretty, so i was really quite cool. astounded to read it yeah like, and wow we, we she's can, really
1: talking about all the details and yeah we can link to that in the yeah. episode notes as well yeah, yeah. definitely yeah uh, i have a really nice quote from her here mm. that i like to read she said being a transsexual makes me a barometer of other people's comfort with themselves people who aren't sexually at peace with themselves tend to be uptight around me. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's interesting because she used the word transsexual, yeah. which at the time was very commonly used. Yeah. Um, now we would say transgender. Yeah. But she, in that interview, she actually said herself that she felt that the word transsexual was too confused with sexuality or yes. homosexuality. And that she herself felt that transgender was a better descriptor. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. And then Interesting. It, it has become that. And that's word. the
0: reason as well. Like, yeah. transsexual was, it, that is the reason, you know, because it, it, it is something that is different from exactly. sexual orientation. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it is important to make that distinction. Yeah. So that is good to hear that she was doing this. She's yeah. a pioneer in all she kinds really of is. areas a pioneer yeah. in synth music, a yeah, pioneer yeah. in transgender representation. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: So we were last talking about her great collaboration with Robert Moog. She'd finished her uni studies. Uh, She did spend some time working as a sound engineer and in a recording studio. And I think around that point, she met a woman who became her best friend. So a woman called Rachel Elkind, who is a producer, uh, a classical musician, a jazz singer and a composer. So quite an awesome <laughs> multi-talented woman.
0: multi-talented woman. Yeah,
1: and she ended up being Wendy's producer yep. because she saw that Wendy had heaps of talent for yeah. creating this awesome electronic music. So together with Rachel, Wendy produced this album of pieces by Bach, yeah. the classical composer Johann Sebastian Bach. <laughs> uh, and she performed it on a Moog synthesizer. Which,
0: um, yeah. So when you, okay, I don't know how familiar most of our listeners will be with Bark, mm-hmm. but yeah, the idea of Bark on a synthesizer really is yeah. quite radical. It is. Yeah, and definitely. it sounds interesting.
1: Yeah. It would have been
0: very novel. Like mm-hmm. we, I recommend that you go and have a listen to it. Because Absolutely. It, it is very novel. Yes. It I is
1: very say. novel. Yeah. Switched on Bach. Yeah. I also just love that name. <laughs> it's great. The cover of the original vinyl is great as well. There's like someone dressed up as Bach. So there's Bach and he's looking quite crazy and there's this huge synthesizer in the background. And <laughs> it's, yeah. So with this album, um well, they, they scored a recording contract. So Wendy mm. together with her producer, Rachel, uh, got this recording contract and they managed to get Artistic freedom to do whatever they wanted with the album. Wow! And this is interesting. The recording took ages because at that time the synthesizer could only play one note at a time. Oh, what!
0: And if okay. you listen to the original, it doesn't sa- that doesn't no. sound very. That's not what I was expecting. That yeah, does not sound yeah. convenient at all. No. So it only plays one note at a time. Yeah. So does that mean that you can go like duh duh duh? Or does it mean you can only go Duh, and then you've got to reconfigure some stuff no. before you? <laughs> it
1: just means you can't play a chord, for example. Yeah. Or you couldn't play your right hand and left hand at the same Whoa. time. You could only play one note. And if anyone is familiar with Bach, <laughs> most of his music is all these fugues, which is basically sort of interlapping melodies that repeat. And, uh-huh. you know, some of them have three parts or four parts going at the same time. require, I imagine, more than one finger. Exactly. (laughs) So you're using your ten fingers. Quite important. Yeah. Yeah. But with Wendy's synth version, she could only play Uh, uh, uh. one line at a time. And so she had to record (laughs) them. Oh, my God. You know, multi-tracking.
0: So, okay. So does that mean that for every chord she wanted to play, she would have to record three individual notes. Yes. Mix them together. Exactly. And then she had her chord. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> so, that is so much work. Yeah, it's dedication.
1: That's so. fucked. Yeah. That's ridiculous. But she achieved it. So <laughs> So that's also why it was so impressive as well <laughs> that she made this whole album oh, of mate. this complicated classical music.
0: Next time I listen to it, which is probably gonna be immediately after we finish recording, yeah. I will listen to it with a entirely new Revel, yes, appreciation because that is some nonsense. Yeah, yeah. One note at a time. Well, like you
1: could play, you know, a melody, but you just couldn't play two notes at exactly the same time.
0: But that means though, okay, so is that why you get that kind of monotonal sound with the synth?
1: Like it does sound like there's only one note being
0: played? Yeah, exactly. Did she do a lot of mixing to create chords?
1: Yeah, I think so because if you listen to some of the pieces, they sound quite orchestral. Yeah. so she's obviously got like six or eight layers of, well, of sound going there, um, which now, you know, we think nothing of doing that in yeah, recording. It's, she's doing that without but, like. But then it was software. all analog. Yeah. Oh, you God. had to kind of
0: cut the tape. She can't track it. eight tracks just on her MacBook Pro. Yeah, like, exactly. She <laughs> does yeah. that yeah. on an analog sound yeah, desk. Yeah. With so, what? Tape?
1: What I is th- she yeah, recording? It would have
0: been tape. Oh my I God. Think. Yeah. Oh my god, my mind is literally blown. I'm just, I'm, oh, we definitely take
1: sound recording equipment we for do. granted. We definitely, Jesus, do. yeah. So anyway, all her hard work hard and those work. long hours um, and multi-tracking paid off because. It became an unexpected commercial and critical success. Yeah, uh, it was the second classical album to sell over a million copies. The second? What yeah, was the first? I'm not sure. Actually, I should have <laughs> looked that up, but I don't know what it was. We'll find out. Yeah, um, and it won her three Grammy awards, three. which Good is job. really impressive. So, and then she was able to do a follow up album uh, with synthesized pieces from other composers too. So,
0: uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> she's like, now she's like, okay, I did. Buy I'm now going to do a little bit of Mozart, a bit of Beethoven, some exactly. Chopin. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. So it was all quite novel then. And yeah. I really liked the fact that she was bringing classical music to new audiences. Yeah. And into the future. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because classical music uh, has always had and still has this sort of quite a stuffy yeah. reputation yeah. as being yeah. like music for posh people or like <laughs> intellectual music. But really it should be, you know, for everyone to listen Mm -hmm. to because it's really beautiful and it's really clever and it's just really nice to listen to. So, yeah, this was her way of (laughs) updating it and then putting a new spin on it.
0: And so was it the kids who were listening to this or was it still that same classical audience who were just like, hmm,
1: interesting? Like, well, that's interesting actually. I don't have any statistics but I do imagine that it would have been people that wouldn't have normally picked yeah. up a classical record.
0: Yeah, because yeah. it charted at number one in the classical charts for ages, didn't
1: it? <laughs> it yeah, it made it onto the billboard wow. charts. Wow, <laughs> um, billboard charts. Yeah.
0: I just, I'm just, i just imagining these old people listening to Switched On Bark in their living rooms and... <laughs> I don't know, maybe feeling like they're having a trip or something. (laughs) But it was critically well-received as well. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was just well-received all around because no one had done that before. Yeah. So, yeah, it was really quite something new at the time. Mm. So then on the back of that album success, Wendy was invited to compose soundtracks for films. Mm. So, yeah
0: and i think this is where yeah as i said at the top of the show i think this is where most people will be familiar with her work
1: exactly yeah 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 so she wendy was actually inspired to write an original piece called time steps while she was reading the novel a clockwork orange oh. by anthony burgess
0: and was this just on her own time like yeah. she was just reading it yeah she own. was
1: reading it yeah. she got inspired and thought oh, i'm gonna write this piece And then she learned that Stanley Kubrick Mm. had just finished filming the film adaptation of the book. And she thought, wow, that's amazing (laughs) because she loved the book and she started writing this music. Uh, So she immediately sent him some examples of her work. She's like, yo, Uh, Stan. Yeah, exactly. I I I don't know if they knew each other. I don't think so. But I guess like she had her producer friend, Rachel, her bestie, who was like getting all the connections for her. (laughs) And so Stanley Kubrick liked the work or he loved the music and then invited her to do the whole soundtrack. The entire soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool.
0: And it is because the Clockwork Orange is, well, it's fucked. Mm-hmm. Like it is an unpleasant film yeah. <laughs> in so many ways. exactly. But it also does, it has that weird dystopian mm-hmm. Gross, otherworldly well, not otherworldly in like a horror way, but like that, yeah. Dystopic future science is probably bad kind of thing going on. So I imagine that the the synth sounds, that electronic music, I mean I yeah, that that fits really, doesn't it? Because exactly. it's also kind of discordant as well, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Like there's something about, I guess, especially at the time because it was so
1: new. Yeah, it was a weird sound that yes. wasn't heard very much.
0: It's kind of uncanny, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because you're like, oh, I recognise that that's a melody, but I don't recognise the sounds that's coming yeah. out of it. And so there's this weird thing I think that probably happens in your brain
1: mm-hmm. when that
0: stuff is so new at the same time that you're watching like... A Clockwork Orange yeah. happen in front of you and traumatize yeah, you. Yeah. That, like they would really, they
1: come together in such Definitely. a powerful way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the music in any film really makes a difference mm-hmm. to the emotion of a scene. Mm. So yeah, it was very effective. Yeah. I'm
0: gonna have to unfortunately rewatch A Clockwork Orange now. Yeah, which <laughs> it's like, look, it's I get it, I get it in terms of what it was doing. Yeah, I get what. Kubrick was doing but mm-hmm. yeah that film is a hard it's film unpleasant. to watch yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um again uh, with this soundtrack Wendy was mixing classical music again with her own synthesized compositions and sounds so like the opening of the film begins with these creepy synthesized sounds as yeah. you were mentioning before and some synthesized timpani hits like mm-hmm. these drum hits and then it it segues into this Moog synthesizer version of the 17th century English composer Henry Purcell's Music for the Funeral of Queen Mary. Right. So she's again like, mixing yeah. quite well-known classical music. Because uh, isn't
0: Alex in the film, I think he's like obsessed with Beethoven. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, did she bring yeah.
1: Beethoven into it? Yeah, I think it must. Well, yeah. I think Beethoven was used yeah. in, in the film, uh, and then she mixed other various other stuff. Yeah, yeah, other stuff in with her own music. So it was uh. really like quite a big theme of the film. Yeah. The music <laughs> as well. So yeah, it was very effective. Yeah, uh, and then later, of course, Kubrick invited her back to do The Shining. as yeah. well.
0: another really creepy, yeah, uh, spine tingly soundtrack. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. I mean, that film is atmosphere that mm. entire film the success of it is in the terror that is slowly building yeah. and that terror
1: builds because yes. of all of those atmospheric
0: elements which are things like that fucking music that yeah, soundtrack
1: exactly the very creepy music yeah. disturbing music yeah so and then after that wendy got asked by the walt disney company to create the soundtrack to tron yeah right? the original <laughs> 80s tron music so with that one, she decided to go all out and expand her musical yeah. range. So she incorporated her analogue and digital synthesizers as well. Oh. And the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Wow. Appeared on that soundtrack. The UCLA Chorus. So like the University of LA, yep. I think the chorus, like yep. a big choir from that. And also the organ of the Royal Albert Hall. <laughs> Wow. All appeared on that show. <laughs> so, does that, that mean music. she had to fly to London
0: to go into the Royal Albert Hall yeah, and record on their I organ? I believe so, yeah. Why yeah. that organ specifically, I wonder. I
1: like, guess it was probably the a, most
0: epic sounding yeah, organ. It must be. <laughs> yeah. We went to the proms, the proms once at yeah. Royal Albert Hall back yeah. in when you know, we were wee young things exactly. of what, 22, 23.
1: Mm. Backpacking around the world yeah. and. We yeah, did. We so those did. of you who don't know, we went backpacking together many, many, many moons ago. We did
0: because <laughs> we went to wanky things like the proms. So we it was again. brilliant. It's not, we not went to wanky. a lot of operas and symphonies. <laughs>
1: uh, we did. Hey, that's my normal life. That is your. It that's is. your life. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, after that, she went on to release thirteen studio albums. That's impressive. In addition to those film soundtracks, yep. some of which were also released as albums. And her music on those albums has explored everything from Balinese inspired scales. Wow uh, to an album about the moons of the solar system oh, using cool. a digital orchestra. Wow. And also a collaboration with Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> On a parody of Sergei Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf. Oh, wow. Well. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, that is, I have to get a copy of that. I yeah. really want to hear that. That sounds
0: amazing. <laughs> it does. And really weird. It does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so all of these are synth, I assume. Yeah, they yeah. all involve some. And synth how stuff. how long is um, she doing this? Like Because she started in the 60s, I guess, really yeah. kind of became much bigger in the 70s and mm. 80s. Synth. Itself is very much an 80s like it is mega, mega instrument. Mm -hmm. So did her sound change with the times? I imagine it must have.
1: Yeah. uh, That's a good question. Yeah. Because I haven't heard any of her later stuff. She hasn't been so active in recent years because she's a lot older now. Yeah. And her last release thing was thing in the early 2000s. Okay. Something. Yeah. But yeah, I guess her thing was, yeah, the synthesized sounds. Yeah. And it's interesting that I I do have a quote from her, a recent quote from her (laughs) talking about music today or the state of music today. So I'll read a bit of that. She says, I find it a great tragedy that the drum machine has replaced real drummers, become so omnipresent to many (laughs) listeners (laughs) that they accept the notion of a completely rigid fascist beat. Something, yeah, something that's like hearing a pile driver or factory equipment. Uh, Someone recently closed his jazz club in Berlin after being successful for a lot of years, but he said he's leaving it now because the current jazz and pop music doesn't swing. And it doesn't quantize rhythm, so like rhythm that's made exactly equal, Okay. Uh, is rigid and mechanical. Oh. We've become robots and it's tragic.
0: Ooh. So harsh, word. Yeah.
1: So I think she's not really a fan of today's electronic music. Well, she
0: is partly responsible for it, <laughs> I true. have to say, Wendy. Yeah. You let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> that's true yeah yeah
1: i guess she didn't imagine what it could uh, yeah evolve into, but it but
0: makes sense that as things become more electronic they are more yeah. regulated because you can keep that yeah. that
1: beat and that tempo mm. in a much more regular exactly. fashion yeah yeah the computer can just you know drag all the things into yeah. an exact rhythm for yeah. you but it's interesting that electronic music has really gone the way of well dance music yeah. i guess that it is all like Really heavy beats and things. Yeah. There's it's less not, lyrical stuff. Like
0: she's not to. as many melodies. Yeah, and ev- that kind of more s- symphonic sound. Yeah, exactly. it must exist. Yeah,
1: yeah, oh. I'm sure it does. But yeah, I guess the more popular stuff. Yeah. is the beats and the beats. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the beats. So um, I also wanted to mention that Wendy, such a multi-talented lady. She has all these other. I guess you could call them hobbies, but yeah. they're hobbies that she's done really well in. Of course. So, of course she did. Yeah. She's also an accomplished photographer of solar eclipses. Wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that fits. I would anyone who's, I mean, I guess there's just such a close correlation between, for me anyway, synth sounds and that electronic sounds and space. Yeah. And yeah. I, like you said, she had Definitely. an album about what the moons of yeah of the solar system yeah Yeah. and so yeah that's not surprising Mm. that she is particularly good at photos of solar eclipses yeah
1: she's had work published by nasa wow (laughs) Wow. and on the cover of the astronomy magazine sky and telescope there you go Yeah, she's also an artist. Like, if she does paintings yeah. and oils and pastels and drawings, are they of space as well? Um, <laughs> no, of random things. Yeah, and she's also written quite a few things. I'm not sure if things have been published as mm. such, but like some personal essays and scientific articles. I actually found she has a website. Well, I think it was her official website. I'm not sure if she herself maintained mm. it, but. Uh, it's a website that contains like all of her writings and some of her pictures and things. Wow. But it's like a really old HTML uh-huh. website okay. <laughs> that like hasn't, from, like, been <laughs> yeah, yeah. hasn't been updated. Yeah, it hasn't been updated since then. Oh, I love those like, weird archives of the internet when you stumble yeah, across it. Yeah, but it's actually really cool to explore. Yeah. So if you Google Wendy Carlos, um, <laughs> you can find her, like the official Wendy Carlos website, which is this old school website but what the, she has what the
0: internet looked like when we were in high school exactly yeah. but it's
1: kind of nice because it does fit with her kind of image of yeah. the pioneer because it's interesting
0: and... because when her music first came out it was obviously so innovative and yeah. futuristic mm. and it's interesting i think that these days when we think of synth music it mm. seems retro it's yeah, something that belongs yeah. in the past yes you know not that electronic music is in, of the past i think that's kind of different
1: but the but mm-hmm. the synth particularly it is very retro yeah it is yeah it definitely makes you think of certain eras yes as well, anyway. yeah yeah, so Wendy, yeah, a really interesting figure uh, of history. Of course, she's still alive today. She's yeah. now 79 uh, oh, and wow. she lives a quiet life in New York. Um, she's kind of renowned for her dislike of the spotlight mm. throughout her career. And there are actually very few interviews with her. But she's had, yeah, a fascinating life. Yeah. Really? And she's contributed so much to music, to technology. Music, really. yeah. As well as to transgender awareness.
0: Mm-hmm. Well I want to say thank you so much for bringing Wendy Carlos into our lives. Yes, thank you to you. (laughs) And, yeah, thank you to Wendy for being
1: so awesome and so inspiring.
0: And so do you have any particular albums of hers that you would recommend
1: that people start off with if they want to introduce themselves to Wendy Carlos? I definitely recommend Switched On (laughs) Bar. I mean, it's quite amusing to listen to because, I mean, now we have so much other electronic music. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it's really – it's a fun album to listen to. And definitely check out her soundtracks mm. uh, as well yeah. for A Clockwork, Orange, The Shining and yeah. Tron.
0: I think it's interesting that Daft Punk did do the new Tron yeah. legacy album yeah. because they were quite influenced by yeah. her, weren't they? Yeah, definitely.
1: Because they did pay, I believe they paid homage to her yeah. in the music. Like they kept some of her ideas in there. Yeah. Yeah, so she's been influential for a mm. lot of people.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for bringing us that story today. My has... absolute pleasure. It's <laughs> <laughs> been a fun journey. We haven't actually done a musician. Really? Now that I'm thinking about it, I think that Wendy Carlos is our first musician. Wow, okay. So Fantastic. thank you for bringing us a musician. Yeah, I'm so happy to have contributed that. S- finally filling yeah. the musician hole.
1: hmm <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so, tell us—is there anywhere that if anybody wants to catch
1: up with what you're doing in terms of music or producing, is there anywhere that our listeners can check you out? Yeah, well, I'm currently uh, updating my website, uh-huh. but yes. yeah, it is <laughs> at indiahui. dot com.
0: Uh-huh. Right? You can <laughs> you also that, like very yeah. like I don't know what it is. But yes, it probably. Yes, yes it is being com. updated. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So that's Indiahui. India, like the country, and Hui is H O O I. Yeah. Yeah. I am on Facebook as well, like posting random <laughs> things about my work and stuff. Yep. And yeah, so you can find me just by looking for my name because I have a really Unique unusual name. name <laughs> so you, you'll probably find me quite easily. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for joining us. And now, every time everybody listens to that startup music, the Dear Me Women theme song. They have a voice to put to that song. They, they still do, don't have a face, indeed. but I'll probably put your face on social media. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and next week we will be back with Alicia. She will be back in Australia. Uh, she has been in Japan and China, as I keep saying, and we'll be back to our regular programming, our regular conversations and bans. And I hope that you have enjoyed our interlude with India. And if you want to continue to support the podcast, you can catch us on Patreon, where for as little as $2 a month, you can get behind the scenes access to some blooper reels. You get extra special exclusive mini episodes called Holes in History. We just recently did one about Annie Londonderry, the first woman to cycle around the world, or did she? And you can also buy merch on Etsy. We have pins and t-shirts. If you can't afford to support us financially, you can please leave a review, subscribe, tell your friends about the podcast, shout us out on social media. We would love to hear from you in your mentions, in your stories, in your tweets. And we are at Deviant Women. And as always, thank you to Brendan Davies for the sound, to Dan, our executive producer, and to India Hui, co host and composer. Thank, thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.